Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, an award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. Or am I, I guess? We we got a lovely uh, YouTube commenter recently who that are is you? breaking down who the fuck is Jacob Wolf actually, Frank? Seriously. Wolf. Let me Google that for you really quickly. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Happy holidays. I think for many people, this may be the last episode they listen to heading into the holidays, but we'll, we'll kind of start off there of what the schedule is because this is an odd time for all podcasts all of you know the people that are on our guest list etc traveling some people have to cancel etc so it happens crazy 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 time but this will not be our last episode before christmas we will have another episode on friday as well and then next week on wednesday we will be having another rerun because nobody's going to want to do a day after christmas stuff full of ham and turkey episode including us. So we will have a, another episode or rerun on Wednesday with a old interview that we're bringing up. And then next Friday, we will have a legitimate brand new episode as well. So <clears throat> stick with us. Friday's new episodes, Wednesday's reruns. But, you know, the whole point, I think, of why we want to kind of bring up these reruns, and you can tell there's some original reporting here because these intros didn't exist in some of them, is that... You know, we have we've grown a lot. You know, we just hit over 12,000 downloads on audio today in the five month period. I'm super proud of that. We're at 275,000 on YouTube as well. I, I mean, pat on the back for for everybody on the team. Everybody's been busting our ass to make the show really successful. And I'm very proud as, as you know, the boss and uh, the guy running the ship here that uh, all the work we've done. But this interview is that we're resurfacing today, which is our interview with Marcus Bromander, who is the co-creator of Among Us, is still probably, from a content perspective, one of the better interviews we've done. You know, he, like, the stuff that he was talking about, about how they almost killed Among Us before it was successful during the pandemic, a lot of the other topics, it's, it's really kind of fascinating, you know, hearing him talk about it. So, Prime, we we didn't do this type of intro for the original episode what what did you think i know you went back and listened to this interview yeah i mean the content is is kind of what you'd expect from a developer but what i what i really appreciate about kind of the the current trajectory of of visionaries is that the the show is sped up like we've we've done a, a really good job of condensing the the interviews into Kind of more content, more questions, more answers, more context, and and I think that really shows. Like Marcus does a great job of of kind of going into some of of what went into building Among Us, but realistically, it's it you can tell that both you and he are in a sense nervous or, or kind of reserved, I suppose, which. Yeah, that that doesn't last. That that just didn't last that all that long for you. And I'd love to get Marcus back on at some point soon and and see uh, if if it doesn't last for him as well. Yeah, you know, what's so interesting about that? I was kind of surprised he was nervous. I can talk about my own here in a minute, but uh, I was kind of surprised he was nervous. You know, this is someone who created what was probably 2020 and maybe even 2021's most popular game. You know, everybody's stuck inside during 2020. You want a party game to play with each other. And here's this thing that is basically the computerized version of Mafia, where you can hop online with people and you can have, you know, functionally like 
pretend to be somebody else is really fun. Like that comboed with like Discord servers and the way people were gathering during the pandemic. Among Us was super successful because of that. And because of streamers, some who have been on the show, like Wodogagrin, who were streaming this game with their friends while they were isolated as well. That's part of what made a lot of the streamers that have been on the show really successful is that they would do Among Us games together. That was the or you know, kind of the origin for some of them. And what's what's why I say that's interesting in the case of Marcus is that here's this person two years after that success, because that success happened in the summer of 2020, and he's nervous to talk to a reporter. You know, and it's like, I get it. I Like, you know, I did press him on some of, like, the acquisition questions and a few other things, but at the same time, like, this guy's, like, a millionaire, and definitely, you know, his game has made a ton of money, and he's still, like, nervous to hop on, functionally, a phone call with a reporter. And And I thought, like, I was very surprised by that, uh, honestly, truly, in, in a sort of like, damn, like I kind of felt bad that like he was that nervous about it. But he was great. It was a great interview. He was like really honest and candid. So, no, I mean, I think I think some of that is is his personality I, from following him on, on Twitter and, and kind of watching what he, he puts out. I think he's just kind of a, a quiet guy. And, and so obviously that's just being someone who's a little bit more reserved personally talking to a reporter, any reporter is going to be getting out of your shell, out of your comfort zone. And I think it showed in the episode. But, I mean, it, it is still really interesting to hear from someone who had like a really definite and tangible impact on on the way that people interacted during the start of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And from my perspective, the nerves at least, like, you know, we, the two of us are in a unique position of the sense that like we had been working on this show kind of behind the scenes for the better part of like three and a half months. Mm -hmm. I had the idea for this show at the beginning of the year. We had a deal for it, which I can't go into a ton of detail for, but we had a, a deal with a platform, an unnamed platform for it that took three months to go through redlinings with attorneys only for them to kill it in the end. Yep. which then ended up being a blessing in disguise because we ended up on Twitter spaces, which is despite kind of everything that's happening now and like it being taken down over the weekend by Elon, like the it's been super, super useful to us. It's been a fantastic tool to us in a way that we thought it was going to be. You know, I'm really thankful that this year has gone in the way that it has the back half of this year in particular, the past like six months, because it is, we are being challenged as a group here at Overcome and with this podcast, but things are going exactly as we expected. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the growth and everything else, exactly as we predicted, uh, you know, seven, nine, eight, nine months ago before when you and I first started talking about working on the show together. And here we are nine months later and it's exactly what we thought it would be. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I didn't think YouTube would do as well as it did. Like, I, I knew YouTube would be a place that we're going to get a lot of traction, but, like, hot damn, YouTube's a great platform. Yeah, it, it's... It works. For context, I mean, we, we I said it in the intro, but, like, we, like, our YouTube's been, like, you know, a rocket ship, and our audio has been, like, slower, but also really fast, much faster yeah. than other podcasts, which is, like, you know, most podcasts struggle for, like, years to even get their first 100 listeners, and we have, like, you know four or five thousand downloads a month at this point like are yeah. projected to be for december and like also have like a good like 
thousand people that tune in at least once a week. I think if you look at the numbers, so like yeah, we're so you it's, know, we're very lucky. It's over a thousand that are listening to multiple episodes a month, and what is it like? Over five hundred or so that listen to every episode, which is yeah, pretty it's stellar. Great. It's great. It takes a, it's really hard to grow a podcast. If you're listening to this and you think it's easy, it is not. There are it's like not 90, easy. there are 90% of podcasts. I think it's sad. It's like 90% of podcasts never get more than 50 listeners an episode. Like it's, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough world out there. And so I'm like really proud of everybody. And it, but yeah, I mean, you, you'll hear in this interview, I was nervous. Like I was nervous for that. Like, I was nervous of like, oh my God, this is the first time we're doing the show. We had technical difficulties earlier in the day because we were using a different recording software for the audio, like the high quality audio video and it broke and I had to send Marcus another link like last minute and be like, hey, we're using something else different I'm, now. And it's like, just because it's kind of the same, it's still different. And I mean, it's, it's yeah. also worth mentioning that booking was a nightmare. At the beginning of the show, At the definitely start, was, yeah. booking was an absolute nightmare. And so Marcus was was very much like a it was very gracious ditch effort. It was it and he was, was very gracious with this time. Like, yeah, you know, I I told him, like, you're going to be the first interview. And he was excited to be that, like, which is very, very kind of him considering the success, you know, like booking's still not easy, but it is like it's easier because now we have a back catalog of like 35 episodes, you know, to be like, hey, we've interviewed 35 really influential people like going to the show you know it's a lot easier now but back then it was not and uh, it was very much a concept and i just remember like i remember like continually looking at twitter spaces expecting for it to like crash or something to the live element of the show just incredibly hey, we did was we, we crashed it like we, sure, we got yeah, later later <laughs> we've we've broken the system yes Hopefully we won't do it again. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Ogren. We appreciate your uh, we appreciate your contribution to the show of, of breaking Twitter Spaces, and pretty sure we owe XQC a thank you for that one too. Because yeah, sure no, because it was he showed us Ludwig that, that, that initially forced the space to populate, and then XQC who had had like all of his fans just spamming the thread that literally broke Twitter Spaces. Yeah, so we've had a we had a lot of good fun with the show over the past six months. We're we're headed in twenty three, flying really high, working on a couple different things, including and here's my plug as always, including we will have some new sponsors in twenty twenty three. We're really really excited to be working with a couple of different companies that I think both of us and certainly like our crew are passionate about as well. And truly, the best thing you can do for us, please listen to the advertisements. It they are. Super helpful. We were just talking about how difficult it is to be an indie podcaster. That is not for you to feel bad for us. That is simply for the fact of being transparent with you that the best way to support us is to be able to listen to this to these ads. It helps us our ability to get new sponsors. It helps us to be able to continue the show and make the show a thing. It's not cheap to produce this kind of show, but it is very much worth it. It is mission statement aligned for us. So we are super, super passionate about doing it and we're going to continue to do it. So please listen to the, the advertisements. Please listen to any other ads as well that you, that come across your feed if you're watching this on YouTube or if you watch the show on YouTube generally. And also, while you're at it, if you are listening on any podcast platform, please head over to Apple Podcasts very specifically. Give us a rating and a review. It is super helpful. For those that don't know, another transparent moment here. Apple Podcasts is the biggest podcasting platform on the internet. It's bigger than Spotify. I know we have a huge Spotify audience. 
I, I get it. But at the same time, Apple Podcasts is the way that you grow and do well in this business. So helping us get a little bit of bump and some love there is super, super helpful. So without further ado, we will dive into our old, but maybe new to you, interview with Marcus Bromander, the co-creator of Among Us. We'll start with kind of just an overall question. You know, it's been a couple of years since like Among Us sort of giant generation peak in 2020. And uh, what is what is Intersoft been up to? I know that you guys have published one other game, but what are you guys doing actively now? We're still working on Among Us, just um, getting our bearings mainly because uh, our team has grown from three to 17 um so there's quite a lot of growing pains there but for the best of course like we're just figuring out how to work as a team um and like catch up on a bunch of tech debt type stuff bugs that have just rolled under for so long just because we haven't had the people that or the 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 workforce to be able to do them all you know, I noticed something in reading an interview that you did with Nathan Grayson of Kotaku previously that you all said that you had no understanding basically of marketing period and that the <laughs> game when you had first launched at the end of 2018 had sort of fallen flat. Your player base was anywhere between like 30 to 50 players when you first launched on mobile. And the reason I wanted to invite you on and talk about this partly was because we've seen sort of this change over the past two years with indie games and indie games gaining mass virality around social media in particular. Um, you know, when I say that, I think of Fall Guys, right? And I uh, more recently think of Stray, which, you know, the internet's made of cats, so I understand well, why uh, Stray is going viral. Everybody loves a good cat game. Um, but, you know, it, it's almost changed marketing on its head. You know, we've seen games like Apex Legends invest millions of dollars in sort of these streamer activations. Uh, not organically, right, when they launch. And obviously, they get a lot of popularity at the very beginning. They get that initial pop from people streaming the game. You all didn't do that, as I understand. It kind of just happened. Walk, walk me through like what, how Among Us kind of hit that stride and the kind of growth that you saw when it became the stream game throughout 2019 and 2020. Yeah, like we didn't do... Like you said, we did no marketing at all. We just put it out and it kind of spread by... Uh, word of mouth um, and like it started in different uh, sections of the world like the first big boost of players was in South Korea um, and then eventually there was a Brazilian YouTuber who played it and then we had one in uh, Egypt I think and Saudi Arabia and then in the UK we started getting some English speakers <clears throat> And then, yeah, around August, it started taking off on Twitch with an American audience, which tends to reach more viewers, I guess, more more of a broad broad scope of viewers. Um, but yeah, we weren't like talking to streamers. We had no connections or anything. It just happened. There's there's a bit of a trail. Like we got. I forget exactly how it started, but we were able to get a daily deal on Steam. And the daily deal got us a ton of downloads. And then 
someone, uh, some streamer, I think, saw the game through the daily deal. And then they told their friends and it kind of just spreads. The, the game itself is like a virus because you want to have as many friends as possible when you're playing it. So you get your group of 10, but if someone can't make it, you get that, you bring in a new person and then like three of those people leave and they go, oh, I want to play with these friends. And they, they drag those friends in and it just spreads like a, like an actual virus. Yeah, I want I want to ask about that. Actually, I want to ask about the game itself and the development. When you were developing the, this game and kind of building, I mean, at its core, it is very, it lends itself very nicely to the ability to be streamed. And I think that's one thing that we've seen more and more in games. Fortnite is a great example of one of those games that I think was very early in that phenomenon where like single player point of view was really, really interesting, right? And sort of lent itself for a streamer to be able to stream themselves. It's different from esports, right? Like, it's not sort of the top-down overview of everyone else. It's very nice to watch from one person perspective. When you were building the game itself with the rest of your team, is that something you were thinking about at all? The the fact that other people could create content around this, or was it just making something that you thought you know people would enjoy slash you enjoyed creating? Yeah, pretty much. The initial game was only local multiplayer, only mobile. It was intended to be like a Jackbox game sort of experience um, that you just get together with your friends in one room. You all sit around a couch and you play. So I, it never crossed my mind at all to think about streamers or, or any sort of maybe like fan art, but any other type of content creation didn't really cross my mind at all. You all have, you all have had fan art a lot uh lately and i want to especially have passed over the two years can you confirm for the record that the among us characters are a bean is that like i've seen uh your main account tweet that is that what they are are they beans i mean i can either confirm or deny that they are beans all i can say is they do have only one bone in the skeleton Yeah, that's that's another part of the game that I think is really or about gaming that's really interesting as well, though, is the fact that gaming is no longer just about the video games themselves, that they're around these communities, right? From building those communities up on Discord to sort of seeing fan art and other types of things make the game take off. How have you seen fan art change sort of the visibility around Among Us? Have you heard from more players that they discovered it through fan art and and i guess what it has that helped kind of inadvertently from a marketing perspective yeah I'm, I'm sure that it's played a big part i can't think of any examples in particular but like even just seeing it the, the whole thing about like oh you can see a crewmate in an object that that helped spread the game a lot um because people who don't even play the game will see it and go what it's that it's that oh, space game that everyone's talking about and now i'm seeing it everywhere and i don't even play it um but the i'm sure there's lots of people who see uh the fan art and they it makes them interested in the game because i've heard a lot of people like the simplicity of the art style and that makes it really easy to approach for anyone like it's so easy to draw a crewmate that it's very easy to make fan art. And that's not to say all the fan art is simple. It's amazing. Like how detailed people can make the characters. 
in terms of the game itself, you know, the I don't think you all have ever disclosed like sales figures, etc. cetera. Uh, but the site level guesstimates that as of t- July 2021, you all had generated $86 million in revenue um, around Among Us. From a game that seems like you all were kind of checked out on before it's sort of big hit. Um, and it, there was a quote, I think, I can't remember if it was from you or Forrest in the Kotaku piece that was basically like, we all wanted to give up, but we just couldn't. Um, what has that been like for, for your life more, more broadly, like the ability to kind of sustain and go from, I mean, you're still an indie developer, you've not sort of uh, fielded the acquisition or not taken an acquisition yet. Um, but what does that tone for your life to be able to turn around from that, like this game that you thought you may have to walk away from to kind of being the thing that shot up your career? I mean, it's, it's obviously nice to have like a safety net. Like we don't, it's, it's, we don't have to worry as much about making a success, which is like a really privileged thing to be able to say. Um, but it also opens doors for us to be able to hire more people and do more things with the game that would just take so much longer with the original team. Like we only had one programmer at the beginning and you can't fix bugs and make new content at the same time. Like it just doesn't happen. And fixing bugs all day in day out as the only programmer is just exhausting and leads to tons of burnout. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have so much more opportunity now than we did before. I want to ask about acquisitions. We saw Mediatronic, the the company that uh, was acquired or you know created Fall Guys, was acquired by Epic Games. Um, I would be surprised if one's not come your way as well um, and with a small team and, but we've not seen the announcement of one. You all are still an independent company, correct? Have you received? Yeah. I was going to say, have you received acquisition offers? And if you've turned them down, why? What's like, what's the, been the onus to stay independent? I, I, I feel like I can say that we have received offers and have turned them down. Um, for me, I don't want to have someone above us kind of dictating what we should be doing, even if that may or may not happen. I just want to be able to do what we want to do and have control over that. And if you bring someone in, you lose a big element of that, I think. In terms of the future of your studio, you were talking about sort of just continuing to service Among Us and build, uh, you know, fix bugs, build new content, etc. For the future of the, the studio overall, and you look at the opportunity to develop other games and move on, what does that look like? Are we looking at an Among Us 2? Are we looking at something kind of else? Are there other things in development that we haven't seen at this point? Or is it still Among Us among, or first and foremost? Uh, there are other things in development. Um, it's very early, but we're, we're having a few people work on new stuff, but this plan is still to have among us like continue until, I don't know, until we run out of ideas, I guess, or until, uh, 
no one is playing anymore and the game is actually dead. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. Like having a bigger team means you can work on two games at once. I can, I can start to work on a new game and feel good that Among Us is still going to continue to exist and still like get updates. And I can still be involved with that as well. One of the other reasons I wanted to talk to you about this was because you were incredibly involved in the indie game community uh, from sort of the, the jump, right? Like you've, you've been around. Uh, I found it really interesting <laughs> in sort of researching for this that you kind of the amount of stuff that you had published in the Henry Sigmund uh, series before the creation of Among Us and success of Among Us and how long you had stuck with one series and continue to create content around this one series. I mean, it's admirable. You're laughing, but it's ad- it's admirable. Like it is, it's it shows kind of the passion I think you have to your work. And the one thing I hear when I talk to like other indie devs, you know, I'm a journalist. A lot of people try to pitch me on their games when I'm at like a, you know, PAX or whatever it may be, and and sort of in one of those like networking events, is where to get started and and how to market and sort of these other questions. I know we just talked about the fact that. Uh, I wouldn't say Among Us is an accidental success. It is a fun game. I actually have really enjoyed playing it with groups of people. It it they're like the mechanics are there and everything is there to make it a fun game with other people, a social game, which is very unique. Um, but a lot of indie devs I've always talked to are like, I don't know where to start. And I want to ask you, where where do you start and where do you kind of make that turn that from passion to profession uh as someone who's now done that? Um well you want to start by making something. I think that's it. Like make something small, make something that you can finish that gets you experience. You can't, you can't start making your dream game. That's not going to go well unless your dream game is a very simple game, which could be, I don't know, but um, yeah, you just want to start making stuff and then you can kind of build an audience around your products that you put out. Like I started with Henry Stickman just making, I didn't know how to code. So the only thing I knew how to do is make buttons and make things play and stop. And I figured like, Oh, I could make like a choosing your, you can make choices. And then that was fun. And then in the next, the next uh, installment, I, I was like, well, what if there was more choices after those choices? And I would just like keep iterating on that. And putting that on new grounds, building a small audience, and then like each game that came out got more views, more more people found out about it. The new one would bring people to the old ones, and it kind of snowballed in a way. Um, but you don't have to make games in a series either. Like people will start to like your products for what you put into them, like your personality and your flair. Yeah. What is among us talk taught you about like influencer marketing and everything else as well? Because I think that has changed and it's given indie games an opportunity to flourish, right? Like we have seen kind of the traditional indie game takes off because it's free on Epic game store or it's, you know, got a daily deal like you mentioned on steam and it sort of gets this fire from one perspective, but what has it taught you about, sort of this new frontier of the ability to reach a new audience 
and uh, how to do it because it seems a lot different than it was even five years ago in game development. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I think it's going to change more and more. Like it's becoming a business to, like you were saying with, uh, I think it was Apex, like they put tons of money into getting streamers to play their game so that people get eyes on it. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be bigger and bigger and it's hard. It's going to be, I think it's going to become harder for indie games to like utilize that because they're going to get muscled out by the companies with, with the big bucks. Um, but I mean, it depends on streamers too. Like I'm sure there's still going to be streamers out there who look for their own thing to find like, cause there's something to be said about being the one that finds like the diamond in the rough as well. I think, I think some streamers, um, Take some pride in that. Yeah, I read a uh, newsletter on Substack called uh, Game Discover Co. And it's like, it's actually really interesting. It's almost this, uh, here's this indie game you've never heard of that sold a million copies. And it's just like a, a game that has like no marketing strategy period top to bottom. But it's like really, you know, it catches someone somewhere that then shares it and it kind of goes viral. Um, it's It's great. In terms of building a business and i want to talk about that too because that's something that's really interesting to me you guys now are full like full-fledged right like you're earning tens of millions of dollars a year in revenue you can deal you know you're kind of running as a real business now top to bottom but walk me through that process of like everything from finding your co-founders that eventually got co-founded intersoft with you to the building that initial team what was that process like to actually scaling up to be like a full game development studio and not just Marcus working on, you know, this project on Newgrounds? Yeah, I mean, we met in college and it was the thing of like I said, I can't code. And then Forrest, the uh, other co-founder, can't do art at all. And so we were like, you know, if we team up, we can make bigger things than being stuck with our limitations. Um. And then Amy was our like mutual friend. So it kind of just made sense to, it, we just started making games as, as friends. And then, yeah, once it started taking off, it had to basically pivot into a business because that's what happens. And like, I, I can't, I can't handle business. Uh, it's too much for my brain. So Forrest really take, tackles most of that. Um, but it's pretty draining for him too, to be honest. Like the more time he has to spend doing CEO stuff, the less time he gets to have fun doing the stuff that he wants to do. The whole reason we're, <laughs> we're doing these games. Um, but in terms of scaling up, it's been good to like find good people that we can trust to do a good job because it takes pressure off of all of us. How big is your team now? Um, we are currently 17. I eventually will be 18 soon. I don't know exactly when, but it's in, in progress. And what, what ground does that cover now? Like, what do you, what do you have staff now that you did not in the beginning? <clears throat> uh, we've got social media slash marketing, uh, a producer, which I didn't know what that was until <laughs> last year. Um, several more programmers, several more artists, uh player support uh like back end work front end work um just like yeah 
a lot of things that only two or three people were doing before. And how has that changed your ability to work? I mean, you were talking earlier about the ability to focus on some other ideas and projects that you're passionate about while being able to like let Among Us be somewhat autonomous, right? The fact that it can, uh, you can publish updates and it can be successful and you're, you know, it's not uh, sort of code red if, if you're not hands-on with it or if Forrest is not hands-on with it all the time. Um, how has that changed the ability to explore those ideas further and also just, you know, take time off and other things as well. Like what is it from a, a change perspective? Walk, walk me through that now being at scale. Yeah. Like the, the whole, the whole workflow is so different now. Like we have timelines and deadlines and they're still soft most of the time deadlines, but there's, we still have to like keep everyone on track. Everyone has to know the information so that's been like part of the growing pains for the past six, eight months or so is just like getting a pipeline in, 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 in uh, getting a pipeline set up and making sure that the pipeline works and that people understand how to do their jobs. Um, because yeah, before it was three of us, if someone needed to know something, you just tell both of them both the other two and then, okay, we're on the same page. Um, but now, now there's, there's communication flow and we're like, we had to move off of discord and onto Microsoft teams so that we could have some separation from work and, and not work. Yeah. I I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but <laughs> that's about it. That's okay. That's okay. One thing I know as a creator myself, obviously very different. I'm not creating games. I am creating television features and podcasts and writing articles. And I definitely have felt the pressure over my career. And I'm curious if you have too and can elaborate on it. When you have that one really big success in your career, it's it's almost easy to be very like, uh, what what's the word? It's very daunting to to have to take on the next project and and look and be like, can I do as good as I did that past time? And it's it's a mix of this imposter syndrome, no pun intended, um, but also uh, just everything else to be able to do that. And I, I want to ask you if you've experienced that yourself and what's that like and your team like, you know, considering you had such a smash success and now you're looking at like, OK, what's what's next and how do we face it from a, a mental perspective as well? Yeah. I have definitely experienced that probably once a month. <laughs> but uh, I think, I mean, part of it for me is that I don't think, it, it, just being realistic, I don't think our next game will be as successful as Among Us. I think that's kind of an impossible standard to reach. And so I think not worrying about being that successful and just making the game that you want to make is the right way to go about it. It can, I mean, it's still scary to think about like, okay, what if nobody plays it? Like that could still happen. Or like, what if we release it and it's bad? I ideally we would know before we release it, if it's going to be bad and not release it. But I mean, yeah, like everyone has doubts. The amount of people on our team that have imposter syndrome is almost ironic. Yeah. Uh, particularly given the game type, right? And given exactly. uh, its, its main <laughs> tag. And so as you prepare, you know, I, I know you mentioned everything else you're working on right now is still in very early development. But as you prepare to think about what, you know, 
three years, five years, 10 years, like think about ahead and what it would be like to launch those projects, right? When you get ready to actually put them out there in the world. What lessons do you take away from Among Us and the success that you have had inadvertently and directly uh, by your own doing and how you apply those lessons to future game titles and launches? Yeah, that's a good question. That's something that I should think more about. I think the, uh, how do I say this? The, 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 like the obvious thing, the obvious first thing would be, you know, do actual marketing. Um, but that like, and, and, and that's a whole new thing for us. So we're, we're figuring that out as well as we go. And I think we can have some fun with it just because we have so many eyes on us now that we can do unorthodox things. I, I, I like to do weird things just because I think it's fun. Um, so that would be like probably the first thing I would think about um, that I would have learned from among us. We're going to take a couple different audience questions. Um, we will, uh, I, I saw one come in through the hashtag that's really interesting. It's kind of on the topic that we were already talking about. So it's a good way to kind of segue into this, which is uh, where would you think you would even be without Among Us or still have the uh, very little audience? Would you still just make uh, random games within the side or what would you do? And this is from Neb Uwu. Yeah, I still, I would still just, I would make games as long as I could. Like, that's how it's been from the beginning. So like early I worked a part-time job and I made games on the side and then I was able to make enough that I could just do it full time. And like, I, it's a bit weird, but I tend to make games that I want to play. So that's more of the goal for me. And I hope that other people want to play them tends to be the case, but maybe not always. But yeah, like I've never been one to make like making games for me isn't a business. It's it's like it's just what I want to do. And being able to make money off of it lets me keep doing it. And I feel like that's kind of how our whole company is. So I have a couple different follow ups to that from myself. So the first I, I want to ask, if it didn't work, what were you going to do? Like to be able to sustain, were you going to go try to find a job at another games company? What was what was next if it didn't work? Well, we had we had the Henry Stickman collection in the pipe, so we knew that like we were hoping that that would be some good income to keep us going for I don't know a certain year or something. Um, we both had or we all had um, an amount of runway that we knew we could work with. I think it was like two or three years. So okay, we can keep doing this make no money and hope that the games we make bring in enough money that the runway continues. Did you guys ever raise investment in that process? Have you considered raising investment more recently? Not full acquisition, but you know, essentially going series A, series B. No, there's no reason to <laughs> that just gets people involved that I don't want to deal with. I feel like that's a, a very abnormal but like it's privileged but it's like all i yeah. think most people would just be happy for you at the same time like that that's the case right that uh because most most developers are not in that process and you know we look at the macroeconomic environment of right now and it's it's very difficult to raise and and i think that a lot of game developers are gonna have to face that challenge uh in a very complex way yeah definitely i want to ask then too uh for 
the game itself, how close did you guys get to sunsetting it? Because in the Kotaku piece, it seemed like it was, you know, again, that forest quote, though, like the, the moment of quitting, like, well, you know, we all wanted to, but we just couldn't. And and so I want to ask, like, how close did that get to, in realistically? I mean, it basically what we were basically done with it um, at the start of 2019, I think. We were just like, we had put out our third map. We'd done enough bug fixes that the game functioned. And we were like, all right, that's it. No more time to work on something else. And I was working on Henry the whole time, like on parallel. So I was like, I need to finish Henry. So I'm just going to work on that until it's done. So Forrest and Amy started prototyping some other game ideas that um, got pretty far. Well, they got decently far along, but then... When uh, Among Us took off again, we were like, you know, what do we do now? Yeah, like, what do we do? We have so many eyes on this. We should ride the wave and either make a sequel. Like, because one of the things we always did was like, if we were thinking of a a feature or something that didn't quite fit in, like, oh, we'll just save it for Among Us 2. And so now with all these eyes, we started thinking like, oh, okay, is it time to think about that again? Like, should we do Among Us 2 or should we update the game that everyone is already playing. And that's what we ended up settling with is just like, there's so many people playing. I I, want to like experience releasing updates to a lot of people like that. That was very exciting to me. Another audience question from loud underscore is uh, since Intersloss team has grown in the amount of members, is the game still purely made in flash? Yeah, the uh, all the art that goes into the game is still made in flash, except for UI elements. I'm not sure what program gets used for that now because we're we're starting to update a lot of the UI and such. Um, so that doesn't need to be in flash. That was mostly just done in flash because of me, but the art should continue to be done in flash just because that is the style. The, um, promo art, I don't think is done in flash either, but they can mimic this, the flash style well enough. Yeah. In terms of the building, the ancillary parts of the business on that front, creating the art, et cetera, have you guys explored doing additional like collaboration, et cetera, in terms of, I mean, you have done some already, but everything from like merchandise, et cetera, I can only imagine the inbox is uh, full with requests on those, especially because it takes entertainment, you know, 18 to 24 months to kind of catch up. And here we are almost 24 months since like among us giant spike. Um, so in terms of exploring those other ideas and art creativity as an artist as well, yourself have, what do you think about those opportunities to do among us things unrelated to the game, merchandising, et cetera? It's pretty cool. Like, I think our goal is always just like, we want to do cool things. If, if people have a cool idea or we forget pitch something cool and it like makes sense and it's good and stuff like that's when we start to think about it. But there's, there's the element of like, this is the new hot thing. I want to make money. So I'm going to try to get them to do this thing with me. And like, that doesn't vibe with me as much, but in general, the, like the wave of 
like you were saying, the wave of people reaching out was so overwhelming at first that I, I actually just shut down. I stopped reading emails. Like I was no, there's no way I was going to be able to respond to anyone. And now we have enough people that we work with and partners that can field a lot that a lot of that better. I want to ask about some of the other indie games, and this is kind of your opportunity to uh, shout out some of the other things that maybe you see play, et cetera, um, that is maybe some that have gotten a lot of love and you think were great or some that have not gotten as much love either. Um, you know, we've seen Stray more recently that I mentioned earlier and in, in the past like week has just kind of been a fervor across social media. But what else have you seen that uh, that is of your interest that you would like to share about and why? Hmm. I recently played um, Teardown. That's been like my game that I keep talking about um, because when you look at it, it looks it's like a voxel based game with destruction physics and you think it's just going to be that you think it's like, okay, you destroy stuff and it's cool. But then they add a, a layer of like, okay, you go into the map and you have to pick up five boxes before the timer runs out. So you end up building a speed running path through the world, which is cool and like interesting. I, I've never really seen that before. And so then you think, okay, that's what the game is going to be. But then then like each level adds something different. Uh, like, oh, in this one, you have to steal cars and, and you can like be sneaky about the alarm system so that you can take some of them without setting off alarms. And it just like keeps like you, you never know what's going to happen. Like a tornado appears in one of them. Um, for some missions you get attacked by a helicopter. So you have to be hidden all the time. So you can like build defenses almost from this helicopter. I spent like 10 minutes putting spray paint on the windows so that I could be inside the house without being detected. So I just thought that was a really cool way to like um, make a game. And now I ranted a long time. <laughs> Tear down. No, that's okay. I would imagine that their developers are equally as happy that you are sharing that as if you <laughs> would be when someone was sharing Among Us in like 2019, right? Like it's, hey, hey, like found this thing that went really well. Um, the other thing that I have, man, maybe I'm just blind, but uh, I have not seen too many Among Us style copycats uh, out there. Have you? Like, this is something we see with a lot of other games, right? With uh, H1Z1 comes out and magically there's PUBG and Fortnite and then Apex Legends in short, very short order. Um, have you seen other copycats that uh, have gained any level of traction or steam? Yeah, there's definitely some out there. And like, there was the Fortnite had their mode for a while. Um, so that's, that's probably been the biggest like developer that's done that format. Um, I think call of duty did one, but I don't know. Like I, I expected more, more of them, I guess, like, cause yeah, it's like you're saying this, this, oh, this is the trend. We need to hop on this. And I think a lot, uh, like the, the triple a devs that look for, making big profits will go, this is what people want. We must get on this. So maybe there's one out there being worked on, but like there's tons, there's, we had a big impact on the genre, which I think is cool. Like you can take elements from among us and apply them to similar, uh, hidden role games, which I think is how games should be. Like you should be able to see and learn from what other people do. 
It's also also almost surprising there wasn't a big one before you all, given the fact that like you know Mafia and Werewolf and some of these other games, card games are, and that obviously Among Us is clearly inspired by and in, in the type of play. Uh, those those have been big in social groups for a long time. It, it strikes me that nobody else kind of gave it a shot or did and did not make it big. Uh, I guess what what made you guys? What do you think made you guys unique in that way? I don't. I, yeah, I don't know because like when we started working on the game, on paper, it was a mistake to work on. Like we don't have a big audience. We're gonna make a game that requires at least five people to be in the same room in order to play. But we knew that because we we had done like a in person like basically mafia in real life or uh, among us in real life without tasks um before so we knew that the concept was fun which kind of gave us a good hope to like go through with it like at the end of the day we would play it and like that was enough i guess i don't know like you're probably just naive in that uh thinking that well if it's good people will play it i don't know i didn't think i didn't think uh very hard about it and I probably should have. You were saying earlier that you shouldn't make your passion as the first game you make, <laughs> but now it's like clearly like that's what you all did. Oh, no, Why? no, no. We've had a lot of failures before this game. Like we have two canceled games that we spent probably a year each on. Um, and one of them was a four player like couch multiplayer game that we canceled to work on Among Us, which was like the same thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if my advice is good, but that's that's this that's the path that we took. And what do you learn from that failure? I just want to ask that. Like what did you take away from those? I think that failure is good. Every time you fail, you should ideally learn something. Um so like for our first one, it was kind of we we learned that didn't have a very good direction to begin with. We kind of just went with an idea and like it didn't really know where to go. And then we found that there was already similar games that were doing it better. And for the multiplayer one, we realized that like we needed to be able to play test way more often to know if we're hitting our mark instead of spending months and months doing stuff and then having that not work. So like each failure, you should be able to like pick and find things that you know, like, okay, this is what led to this being a failure. That's all for our show. If you enjoyed this episode of Visionaries, you can find more like it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find the show. Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Prime Thotamkara for their help with this episode. We will see you on Friday.